Welcome to Rabbi Michael Whitman's weekly podcast, Mining the Riches of the Parsha, where we discuss, using classic and modern sources, the insights of each Parsha that will make a difference in your life. I have uh, two pieces that I want to share with you tonight. This week's Parsha is the double portion of Achremos Kedoshim. And if you turn, please, to page 656. Page 656. The second half, Parshas Kedoshim, is a potpourri of some of the most famous and important fundamental mitzvot in the entire Torah. And there's a pasuk near the beginning that is very curious in its juxtaposition. I'll explain what I mean. The parsha begins page 656, the top of the page, Hashem says to Moshe, speak to the entire Adath Israel, Adas Israel, Adas B'nei Israel, Adas means congregation of, so Adas Israel, Adath Israel's congregation of Israel. And say to them, Kedoshim to you, be holy. It's a very profound statement, and there's a lot of discussion. What does that mean exactly? So, with God's help, if you come back tomorrow night to shul, that's what I'm going to talk about tomorrow night. But I want to now look at the next pasuk, pasuk gimel. Ish imo v'aviv tiro. Every person should have reverence, respect for his mother and his father. The es shab sosai tishmaru and Keep Shabbos, observe the Sabbath. Ani Hashem I am Hashem your God. Those are both very important mitzvos, fundamental mitzvos in different ways, but it's curious why they're in the same pasuk. We have a lot of psukim in this parsha. There are a lot of different mitzvos. And if you remember back to the Aseris Adibros, the Ten Commandments, they also are juxtaposed, one next to the other. So, to understand why they are put in the same Pasuk, Rashi gives a, 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 a very clear-cut answer. Uh, it's in Rashi. I'm sorry I don't have it translated. But Rashi says it comes to teach you the following rule. And that is, you have to honor what your parents say, but you have to keep Shabbos. And if your parents would say to you to violate Shabbos, you're not supposed to listen to them. Because Hashem's laws come before. They don't come before honoring parents, but they come before obeying parents. If the parent gives an instruction that's against the Torah, we're, we have to be respectful. We have to find some honorable, respectful way to speak to them. But we're, Hashem's Torah comes first. 
So that's why they're putting the same pasuk to teach that lesson, and it applies not only to Shabbos, but to any mitzvah in the Torah. You still have to keep the mitzvahs. You have to honor your parents, but you don't obey your parents if they tell you to do something that's wrong. That's what Rashi says. There's another answer that comes from Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, and it teaches a very, very fundamental lesson. And he says that today, in modern society, there are two philosophies of looking at the world based on two opinions about the following subject. How did the world come into being? So, the Torah indicates and traditional Jews assert the belief that there was a certain period in history, a period in time, and there was no world, but Hashem existed, and Hashem brought the world into being. It's not part of Jewish belief how many actual years it was. It could be 5,778. It could be 30 billion. That's depending on how you read the psukim. It's possible, as the Ramban says, that Hashem utilized some kind of evolutionary process in how he created the world. But the fundamental belief is that there was a point when there was no world, and that Hashem caused the world to come into being. Hashem created it. There's another view. It's associated with Darwin and others who followed him, a so-called, in quotation marks, scientific approach, and that is that the world started out with some kind of primordial uh, entity and gradually it evolved from lower beings in, and, and uh, gradually into higher beings uh, that we come to know as human beings, and human beings were later in the evolutionary process, and human beings came from earlier, more primitive Beings, and that's the evolutionary story. There is a very practical, very practical difference in those two approaches, which really leads to two very different ways to see the world. If you follow an evolutionary process, then the later is more developed and sophisticated than the earlier because it has evolved. So we would look at the world today as more sophisticated, more complex, more developed than at an earlier stage which was less evolved. From a Torah point of view, it would be exactly the opposite. If we believe that Hashem caused the world to come into creation, then the closer you are to creation, the closer you are to God. Or to put it into parochial Jewish terms, the closer you are to Mount Sinai, the nearer you are to God. Mount Sinai is the event where an entire group of human beings heard God speak in a way that has never happened since. That is the epitome of closeness to God. And so the closer you are to Sinai, the closer you are to that revelation of God's experience. And the, as time goes on, we are declining in our spiritual level. Now, it's possible to look at it both ways because you can look at it 
from the point of view of, let's say, medicine and technology as evolving and becoming more sophisticated, and spirituality, or perhaps morality, perhaps as declining, or connection with God, declining. So one doesn't necessarily contradict the other, but there are two different views of the world. The connection between Shabbos and revering parents is this dynamic. Because Shabbos attests to the creation of the world. When one observes Shabbos, one is asserting their belief in Hashem creating the world. And therefore, when one has that orientation, one necessarily has reverence and awe for one's parents because they are closer to God than I am and they are what connects me back to Sinai, back to creation. I only have a connection to God but through my parents and they through their parents going all the way back. So, and an experience of observing Shabbos ought to lead automatically to a reverence to one's parents, which is my connection to Shabbos, my connection to Sinai. And that's why they're in the same Pasuk. So there's an amazing story. It's a famous story. I've told it before. I'm sure you've heard it before. Rav Yaakov Kabanetsky was one of the greatest Torah personalities of his generation. He passed away about 35 years ago, I think. I had the privilege to speak to him once. No, about 30 years ago, I had the privilege to speak to him once. An amazing person. So it once happened that Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky was traveling to Israel. And he was traveling and sitting in the plane, and on the flight were several of his grandchildren... They were traveling together. But, you know, the plane was crowded. They're all sitting in different parts of the plane. And it happened that Rabbi Yaakov was sitting next to a secular Israeli Jew, also an elderly gentleman. During the flight, it seemed like every 15 minutes, another one of the grandchildren would walk over to Rabbi Yaakov to say... Zaidi, do you need anything? Can I get you some water? Do you want to go to sleep? You need a pillow? Like every 15 minutes, they keep going. It's like it's back and forth. And this elderly Israeli Jew sitting next to Rav Yaakov, after a number of hours, he turns to him and he says, you know, you must be an amazing person. If my grandchildren were on the plane, they would want nothing to do with me, you know. They'd be listening to whatever with their friends, and they, you know. So Rav Yaakov said, I'll explain it to you, it's very simple. He said, my grandchildren are religious Jews. And they believe that I am closer to Sinai, to God, than they are, because they are grandchildren of mine, and that their Jewish identity comes because of me, because of their parents, and that comes because of me. So they look up to me as being hot, closer, and therefore they show this kind of respect. But your grandchildren, 
have a secular outlook. And from a secular point of view, they feel that they are more evolved, more sophisticated, more with it. And you, they look at as old-fashioned. And so they don't have that same feeling. And that's why there's a difference. It's an extremely practical detail because you see this all the time. You see it especially, for example, in uh, a generation that emigrates to another country. So you have people who, and it hap- I mean, it's even happening today, but certainly like after World War II, people could have been uh, professionals and advanced and etc. And then they come to a new country and a new language and they have to start all over again. And and doesn't matter what their training was, but often, you know, they're, they're immigrants, they don't know the language, they... And very often the children and the grandchildren catch on much more quickly. And the children become acculturated. They become more sophisticated and more comfortable in this environment. And they look back at their parents and their grandparents as, you know, from the old country, old-fashioned. And and it really does, in a lot of situations, create a feeling where children do not have the proper respect for their parents and their grandparents because they see them as old-fashioned and, and uh, simple and, and, and um, not as sophisticated and not as, as evolved. But it's a, it's a very, very real thing. And parents and grandparents, as they raise children and grandchildren, from a total point of view, need to insist. It is, you know, it may be true that that you know this language better than I do. It may be true that you know technology better than I do, but but there are certain things that I know better than you do, and, and there should be a... a, a, a there's this f- famous, funny cartoon that goes around on Facebook. Uh, uh, how does it go? You know, don't let your children... Don't ever... Don't ever disrespect your parents because they don't know how to turn the computer on. Remember, it was your mother who taught you how to eat with a spoon. <laughs> but th- th- that's an important aspect that we need, to, we need to remember that. And that's really part of why this POSIC puts both of these mitzvahs in the same POSIC. <coughs> okay. I want to go to a second subject. You know that every Shabbos morning we read the Torah. We read that week's Torah portion. Over the course of the year we read the entire Torah. We, on Shabbos morning, we call up seven aliyos. So we divide the Parsha into seven sections. Seven aliyos. And then we read the Haftorah. Haftorah doesn't mean half of the Torah, which is what I grew up thinking. Amen. The Haftorah is a reading from one of the works of the prophets. A section from Navi. Each week a different section. And the reason for it is explained in the Talmud. There was a time in Jewish history when the Jews were being persecuted. It's not clear from the Talmud exactly which period this was, but it could very well have been from the period of the Hanukkah story. It's possible that's what it was, but the, the, the specific oppression, persecution of the Jews in Israel was specifically tied, tied to studying Torah. And 
It's actually brilliant because they understood if we can forbid Jews from studying Torah, we'll eradicate Judaism. That's, that's the way to get rid of it. Jews cannot survive without Torah. And if you could forbid it, of course they were not successful, but if you could actually forbid it, within a couple of generations we, we would be lost. There would be no distinct Jewish people. So, they forbade reading the Torah in public. So what Jews did at that time, they came up with a substitute. They came up with the Haftorah. We're not reading the Torah. We're going to read a, a, a passage from one of the works of the prophets. And the Haftorah has to have a minimum of 21 psukim, 21 verses, which is the minimum that you could have for seven aliyos, each aliyah with three psukim, which is the minimum. So it corresponds numerically to the Torah reading on Shabbos morning. And the selection of the, of the work from the Navi is thematically tied to the Parsha. So it works like a memory device. We're not reading this week's Torah portion. We're reading another portion with a similar theme So, because we're under this persecution. If we read the Torah, we're, it's on threat of death. But we're reading from the prophet, thematically connected to the Parsha. So in our mind, we remember which Parsha it is. And this way, we'll be able to survive. Can they not hold with that today? What? The 21 Pesukim? Mm -hmm. A minimum of 21 psukim. With a couple of exceptions. <laughs> With a couple of exceptions. Every rule is entitled to an exception. Now, then there came a time when that decree was no longer in place. So we were again free to read from the Torah itself. But our rabbis decided that it was so important for us to remember A, that there was a time when reading the Torah in public aloud was forbidden on pain of death, and B, that had that happened, and we were not studying Torah, we would not survive, and we had to come up with the substitute of the Haftorah, and therefore we retained the practice of reading the Haftorah every Shabbos. However, the way we do it is, we don't just have seven aliyos and then the Haftorah because that would make it seem as if somehow they are comparable. They're not. The Torah is on a higher level than the prophets. So what we do is we have seven aliyos. Then we call another aliyah, an eighth aliyah that we call maftir. And that one also reads from the Haftorah. So we all understand that it's separate. It's after the seven that are required. Then there's an eighth separate, and that's going to read the Navi, and that is purely to remind us of what existed in the past and the lessons that we have to learn from them. Okay. Is that why we do Kaddish before? Then that's why you have Kaddish at the end of seven aliyos, because that's the end of the Torah reading. Now we're doing something that just reminds us of something that happened earlier. Now, if you look at most portions of the year, let's just say, I don't know, 80%, 90%, the thematic 
connection is clear. You read the parsha and you see which Haftorah is assigned for that week, and it's obvious what the connection is. But there's some, a few, where it is not obvious why that Haftorah is selected for that parsha. And one of the most difficult to figure out is this week's Torah portion. So, we have the double portion of Achremos Kedoshim. It begins with the laws of Yom Kippur. That sounds pretty important. Then it goes to the laws concerning forbidden physical relationships, forbidden sexual relationships. That's pretty important. Then you come into the second half, which is partial Kedoshim, and Kedoshim has all the big famous ones. Shabbos, honoring, revering parents, love your fellows yourself. That's this week's Torah portion. How many great Haftorahs could you find on the theme of loving your fellow as yourself? And so many other mitzvahs. In fact, the second half, Parshas Kedoshim, is referred to as Gufei HaTorah. The, the essence of the Torah is included in this Parsha. So many themes. So many good sections to choose from. If you turn, please, to page 1173. So, 1173, the middle of the page, which happens to be the Haftorah that we read this Shabbos, I don't want you to read the whole paragraph in the small letters, but just to see how complicated it is, because the Chumash is describing which Haftorah you're supposed to read for this Shabbos and how many different opinions there are. There's even a difference of opinion of which Haftorah is called the Haftorah for Achrimos and which Haftorah is called the Haftorah for Kedoshim and which one you read and which community does it this way and does it that way. It's very, very complicated. The complication continues on the next page where, in fact, and you'll excuse me for saying it, but in page 1174, the middle of the page, the instruction is actually incorrect because we don't follow what it says there. And it's just very, very complicated. And it's complicated because, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that we read page 1173 near the bottom of the page it starts, Hello, Are you not to me like the children of Ethiopians? And the question is, what connection does this Haftorah have to this week's Torah portion? And let me save you. You're welcome to look it through yourself. But if you read it from beginning to end, unless you heard me give this year already somewhere else, I don't think that you'll find the answer because there's no obvious connection to our Parsha. So I had the privilege to hear a lecture from Rabbi Yosef Salvechik, a blessed memory, the Rav. And it was an amazing, incredible 
you, you'll excuse me, there's something going on that I have to check if my phone Go rings. I, do, I don't have to at this moment, but okay. it's rude to do, but I'm in a situation where I have to check. So, the Rav said, gave this introduction to the subject of Haftorah that I'm sharing with you, and the Rav said, he's able to figure out almost every Parsha, and he came to this Parsha, and he couldn't figure it out. He said, I worked on this problem for months to try to figure out why this Haftorah is read on this Shabbos. And after months of working on it, he says, I was able to figure it out. And the reason for the connection is based on one Pasuk. Actually, it's one Pasuk in Parshas Achrimos and one Pasuk in Parshas Kedoshim. It's almost the same Pasuk. But that's the connection. And I'm going to share it with you now. You know, the Jewish people leave Egypt with nothing. Only literally what they could carry. <coughs> One thing they had, and that's a promise. The promise of God that he was going to take them to Eretz Israel, to the land of Israel. That's the only thing they had. And they walked into the desert. They walked through the Red Sea with no water, no food. Can you imagine going to the desert without water, without food? No shelter, no supplies, no security. Not knowing where they were going, not knowing what was going to happen to them except for a promise. I'm taking you to Israel. And of course, that's why they were still in Egypt. That promise was given. Once they left Egypt, and they're in the desert, then there's really no place to go. Because they don't know where they're going, and they certainly can't go back to where they came from. All they have is their faith in Hashem's promise that he's going to take them to Israel. And all of a sudden, well into their journey, into the desert, Hashem tells the Jewish people something that is so frightening. Something that causes chaos. And it's one Pasuk. Page 654. It's the very end of Parshas Achrimos where Hashem has delineated all of the forbidden incestuous relationships and forbidden sexual relationships. Top of the page, Pasuk of Dalid. Al do not defile yourself with all of these forbidden relationships. 
these laws were violated by the other nations and that's why I am sending them out and I'm giving you a chance to live in Israel. But just be careful because they defiled the land. And I am going to spit them out because they defiled the land. Chavav, 26, But you better be careful. You better be careful and not violate these terrible immoral acts. Because that's what happened to the people before you. Don't let the earth, don't let the land spit you out. Because you have defiled it. As the land spit out the nation that was there before you. Hold on a second. You mean it's conditional? You mean we may not keep it? Wait a second. We left Egypt with a promise. We're traveling with a promise. It's all we have. You mean to tell me now we're halfway there and you tell me there's a condition that we could lose it? It's a pachad. It's terrifying. Our whole hope that this is where we're going and now you're telling me it's not for good? It's not forever? We could lose it? And the truth is it's not even described as a punishment. Rashi says, I'm sorry I don't have it in English, maybe it's in the notes, but, but let me just read it to you. Rashi says, Eretz Yisrael over The land of Israel doesn't stand people who are immoral. It, it, it just can't handle it. It's like a person with a sensitive stomach. It can't handle something that is defiled. It's, it's, just, it's, it's an automatic consequence. Forget about the punishment. Israel can't Stand can't handle immorality and it has to spit it out. Like a person that takes something in and they just, they have to spit it out. And this is the first time that the Jewish people heard that the land of Israel casts out sinners. And the people were afraid because they already had the experience of having sinned and made mistakes and made God angry. And now, the whole point of getting to Israel, and now you're telling me it, it may not last? Look please at page 670. The very end of Parsha's Kedoshim. At the top of the page. And this is after Parsha's Kedoshim, which is a description of all these other mitzvahs. Honoring parents, observing Shabbos, loving your fellow, 
not taking bribes, not mistreating the stranger, all the famous laws in Parshish Kedoshim. And at the end, top of the page, top line, Hashem says, make sure you guard and protect and observe all of my mitzvahs, Hashem says, or else the land will spit you out. It's not permanent. And the Jews were terribly afraid. So the rabbis in the Talmud, when they came to choosing a Haftorah for this week's portion, they faced a dilemma. They could choose something that was thematically connected to the subjects in the Parsha, Or they could respond to the emotion that is aroused, that was aroused by the Jewish people when they heard the words of the Parsha. And that's what the rabbis chose. So in response to don't let the land spit you out. You're not guaranteed that you're going to stay there. In response to that, we have the prophet of Amos, one of the most loving and reassuring of all the prophets. Please take a look at page, start with 1174. I'm sorry, 1173. Well, let's start at 1174. When you read this, so we, we know now, and the rabbis of the Talmud knew by then, that Hashem's promise came true. The land did spit out the Jewish people the first time, and then there was a second time. The rabbis of the Talmud were living through the second time it happened. So the Jewish people in the desert, they had good reason to be afraid. It, 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 what they were afraid of came to pass, not once but twice. But listen to what the prophet Amos says on page 1174. Pasuk 11, Yud-Aleph. The prophet says, yes, it's true that Beis Hamidrash is going to be destroyed and the Jewish people are going to go into exile and they're going to suffer terribly in that exile. Yes, Hashem's promise is going to be true because the Jewish people did violate Hashem's commandments and were, did act immorally. And the land of Israel, with its sensitivity, did spit them out. That's true. However, however, Pasuk Yudalef, number 11. Bayom hahu akim esukas David hanofelas. On that day, I promise you, it's going to come back. I will raise up and reestablish the sukkah of David that fell down. This famous line that we sing and we talk about on sukkos. V'gadarti as pirtseim, I will fill in the, 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 the breaches in your walls. V'hasirosi akim ubenisi akime olam, I will rebuild it like it was in the beginning. There will be a time of Mashiach and it's, you're going to come back and it's going to come back and Yerushalayim is going to be rebuilt. And it's going to be okay. And I know that we're suffering now. I know you're going to suffer in the future. But there will be an end to that suffering. I'm going to bring you back. 
Pasuk Yudalid. 14. Veshavti eshvus ami Yisrael, and I will bring back the remnant of my people Israel. Ubani, ubanu arim nishamos, and you will rebuild the destroyed cities. And just to keep in mind how this prophecy is coming to pass in our day. We have the merit. 2,000 years we did not have this merit. We have the merit to see this prophecy being fulfilled in our day. Ubanu arim nishamos v'yashavu. You will rebuild the destroyed cities and you will live at them. You will inhabit them. V'natu kramim. And you will plant vineyards. I just signed up last night for another Facebook group that I know of kosherwine.com, something like that. A Facebook group that's talking about these amazing wines all over Eretz Yisrael. In Israel, the best wine in the world in every single region you can find. Not to kramim. V'shasu esyenim, and you drink their wine. When you go to Israel, you drink a bottle of Israeli wine. It's delicious, Yes. You're fulfilling a prophecy of a Navi. The Navi's words are coming to life. Mm. Those wines, us, I'm sorry? Those wines weren't so good 20 years, 30 years ago. But now it's, now it's, now it's really something. Yes? From the Galil to the Negev. Some of the highest rated wines in Israel today, you know where they're coming from? Arad. 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 I can't even afford the wines from Arad. It's amazing. All over. Oh, Yerushalayim, the north, the south, everywhere. The best, the best it's not in Galil. I'm telling you, Galil's amazing. Yeah. I'm telling you, the wines, it's called, it, Arad has one of the best wineries in all of Israel. Amazing, in the Negev. Okay. Asuganos, you're going to make gardens, and you're going to eat its fruits. When you eat something that comes from Israel, you are fulfilling a promise of the, of the Navi. So the Navi says, yes, Hashem's, what Hashem said is going to be true, but it's not going to last. It's going to be come back. You're going to come back. Israel is going to come back in all of its glory. And here's the last basic. And I will plant you on your land. What an amazing phrase. It's not just you're going to come back. You know, you come back. Yeah, you're walking. Okay, just like you, you take a plane there. You take a plane there, you can take a plane out. You walk in, you can walk out. But when you're planted, you're planted, you will have roots that cannot be moved. And once you get planted, you'll never be removed. You'll never be, you'll never be taken away. That's what Hashem says. The institution of Torah reading on Shabbos morning is intended to be part of the mitzvah, an intellectual mitzvah of the study of Torah. Over the course of the year, you pay attention, you review the entire Torah, and then you start over again. The institution of the Haftorah is intended to strengthen the faith of the Jewish people. 
the faith in the Jewish people of the ultimate redemption, of the coming of Mashiach, of the ultimate consolation. And I don't want to dwell on this subject, but we have a real problem in some of our shuls where people go out during the Haftorah. I'm going to skip over the, the first ten reasons why that's a terrible thing. I'm skipping over that. But just to lower down on the list, I feel sad for people that are going out that they're missing the promise of consolation of the Jewish people. Now, that's the role of the Haftorah. The role of the Haftorah is to give consolation to people who are suffering. Remember the historical origin. We were suffering. We were under persecution. And our rabbi said, read this to remind yourself of what the Parsha is. How did they choose which portion to read, which connection to read? Well, often it's easy. But for this Parsha, they chose the connection that responds to the emotional terror of the Jewish people in hearing the words of the Parsha, don't worry. It's going to happen. It's going to be bad. But it's not going to be permanent. You're going to come back and you're going to be planted. And when you're planted, that's going to be permanent. And what's completely incredible is to see that this understanding of why we have the Haftorah and this informs us which portions are chosen for each parsha is expressed so magnificently in the brachos, the blessings for the Haftorah. If you turn please to page 1128. When we read the Haftorah, we have a short bracha before the Haftorah reading and four brachos after the Haftorah reading. And these blessings before and after the Haftorah express completely and explicitly the role that a Haftorah is supposed to play in our lives. Before we read, we say, Blessed you, Hashem, you chose good prophets. And you were pleased with their words that were uttered in truth. In other words, these words that we're going to say, we are confident that they are the truth. Look at the brachos after, the second paragraph. Blessed are you, Hashem, etc., 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 you are a God that you speak through your prophets and you fulfill what you say. All of the words of God expressed through the prophets are true and righteous. Correct. You can be trusted God. Not even a single word that you promised us in these prophets is going to go unanswered, is going to go unfulfilled. You will fulfill every single word. And then the next paragraph. 
Rachem al Zion have mercy on Zion because it's the source of our life. And then the next paragraph. Allow us to rejoice with the coming of Eliyahu, the prophet Elijah. And Eliyahu Hanavi, the prophet Elijah, will announce to us the, inim, in, the imminent coming of Mashiach, the descendant of David. Who should come soon and cause our heart to exult. Al Kiso Lo Zar, no other king, no other person will sit in his place. We're waiting for the Mashiach, the descendant of King David. That's what the Haftorah is about. The essence of the Haftorah is, yes, to connect thematically to the Parsha, but to connect thematically to the aspect of the Parsha that brings consolation to the Jewish people, that assures us that the words of the prophet will be fulfilled, and we trust that they will be fulfilled. And not a single word that was promised will go unfulfilled. Baruch Ato Hashem Magain David. Blessed are you, Hashem, who protects David, who guards David, who will bring the son of David back as the Mashiach. The gall is the exile will be long and it will be bitter. But the institution of the Haftorah in general and the choice of the selection of this week in particular offer us Hashem's promise that there will be that this will be transitory and temporary and there will be a final and ultimate redemption that will be permanent and that is exactly what the Haftorah is telling us Unetatem I will plant you in your land and I want to just point this out for almost 2,000 years Jews said these brachos and read this Haftorah like it was a dream. It was a cholom, right? Yeah, right. Hashem's going to bring us back. Hashem's going to plant us. It was unimaginable. Yes, okay, we have faith. But it was outside of the possibility, the realm of possibility. Couldn't even fantasize about it. It's done. It's done. We are... We are the first generation that is able to see it is fulfilled. Yes, there are some of the prophecies of the prophets that are not yet completely fulfilled. Yes, it's not all there, but, but Amos is there. Are we on our land? Are we planting vineyards? Are we planting gardens? Yes. We are living through the expression that no ancestor of ours has experienced in 2,000 years. We see, we don't have to be, we don't have to have faith. We just have to go visit. We just have to go see it. It's there. So special to be able to read these words and for the first time in 2,000 years not have as a promise for the future. And every Shabbos to read these brachos and not have it as a promise for the future. But to be able to see it's here right now. 
And that's the connection to this week's parsha. When you look at the parsha, when you read through the parsha, you pay attention to those two psukim. And then you listen to the Haftarah and the brachos before and after. And you understand why it could not be any other selection of the Haftarah for this week's parsha. And that's what Rav Salavechik explains. Have a great Shabbos. So just to remind you, number one, you got to finish that challenge because I'm not taking it back home. And number two, we're now switching starting this coming Thursday. Hopefully, with God's help, we'll be continuing Thursday night, 7 p.m. Thank you very much.